0: Welcome to the Weekend Message from Mariner's Church, Mission Viejo Campus. Whether you're listening across the street or across the globe, we hope you'll find encouragement for your daily life through this podcast. We're glad you're with us, Um, especially if you're under the age of 12. If you're under the age of 12, show me. I saw a few over here. Awesome. All right. Good try. Good try under the age of, I didn't say under the age of 30. Hey, uh, my name's Mike. I want to welcome you to our community. Anybody new? Any first-timers this morning? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Uh, nice. Welcome. All right. Here's the deal. We're going to embarrass you. And uh, we want your information so we can give you all sorts of direct mail up pieces. And uh, no, we are glad that you are with us. Uh, and what we, what we really want to be about is we want to be a community that keeps the main thing the main thing. And uh, we believe the main thing is the message of Jesus of Nazareth that still has incredible relevance uh, 2,000 years after he originally preached it. We believe that Jesus came not to found a religion, but he actually came to do away with what made religion uh, needed to begin with. That Jesus came to undermine the need for any other thing besides him at, to serve as a mediator between God and And humanity, and so we come, and we're in the middle of a series called Jesus Hates Religion, and we keep getting questions about this, because that's the question. Well, didn't he start a religion? And the answer is no. If you look at the Gospels closely, who were the people that he got into the most trouble with? The religious people. The sinners loved him. The sinners thought he was fantastic. The sinners flocked around him and invited him to dinner parties. The religious folks... They had a little different issue with him, right? They would ask him all the time, why do you eat with such scum? And Jesus would just say things like, well, I came to seek and save what is lost. I didn't come for the healthy, but for the sick. And so 2,000 years of dusty buildup has led to a church that makes people feel like oftentimes they got to get their act together, they got to get their problems solved, they got to get their addictions cured, they got to get their doubts answered before they can even step into the door. And that was so not the heart of Jesus. And so we want to be a community that simply puts on display um, and, and, and allows him to break every single stereotype that we have of him. Because whatever picture you have of Jesus, guarantee the real thing's bigger and better and gooder, as my kids would say. Now, we're going to start in the book of Luke today. So if you've got a Bible, go to the book of Luke or as we say around our house, Luke. Right. Right. Um, we, uh, what we want to do is that Jesus, um, he's talking to a group of people called Pharisees. Now, if you've been tracking with us, and by the way, we, uh, we have a podcast now available, so if you're a Mission Viejo fan uh, and uh, you want a podcast, it's great. And then Kent and I do something where we actually spend 15 minutes on Tuesday morning doing another podcast that is uh, interacting with questions, because we keep getting lots of questions about the series. And so we kind of answer those. So you can fire some questions at us. You can set up for that. But Jesus is talking to a group of people called Pharisees. And Pharisees in the first century were religious all-stars. These were people that took the 600 commandments of the Old Testament. Would you agree 600 a lot? right? We have a problem with the Big Ten. all right? So 600. And then they added 1,500 rules, regulations, and rituals on top of that. And they boasted about their fitness to be close to God. On the basis of their external obedience to all of those rules and regulations. So the Pharisees in Jewish culture were the good guys. These were like, these were the religious, like, if you were gonna point to somebody who we're sure is right with God, you'd point to these people. Now, Jesus, it makes it all the more striking when Jesus goes after these people as people who've missed the boat entirely. Luke chapter 11, verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, did I not tell you Luke 11? I hadn't said that. Oh, okay, Luke 11. Hey, good morning. Let me tell you a number of things that are welcome here. Okay, first of all, tank tops, welcome. Especially if you've got guns like that. Secondly, arm casts, welcome. Although I'm so sorry they're needed. Thirdly, bald heads, Welcome. Doubly welcome, a double portion of blessing over the men who do not require hair to be glamorous. (laughs) So now that we got that out of the way, Luke chapter 11, when Jesus had, verse 37, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him. Now Jesus never says no to a free meal. I'm Christ-like in that way myself. A Pharisee invited Jesus to eat with him, so Jesus went and reclined at the table. Back then they had low tables. You'd literally be on cushions on the floor around a low table, and you'd be reclining back on your left elbow. But a Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal, was surprised. Now, our English Bibles are masters of understatement, because what Jesus is doing here is highly, highly offensive in first century culture. Now, here... Three minutes of painful background to the point. To the Jew, to the Jews, to Israelite thought, all of life is sacred. There aren't religious pockets and non-religious pockets. There aren't spiritual pockets and non-spiritual pockets. There aren't secular pockets and sacred pockets. The, all of life was sacred. All of it was lived in front of God. And all of it was to be an aspect of worship of him. Central to life is food. And God had given uh, the Jewish people... Severe dietary restrictions, and they served a purpose. That's another question, like, why can't you eat this, and why is this clean and that unclean? That's a separate issue that we'll talk about someday. But for them, this was supposed to show them something about what God is like and what they were to be like. And so the central impulse of the Pharisees was to stay pure and clean before God. The way they did that was by avoiding anything impure and unclean. So growing up around these food laws became all sorts of laws and rituals about how to keep the food clean. So how you prepared the food became important, how you blessed the food became important, and washing your hands before the meal became important. Back then it had nothing to do with hygiene. You know, this isn't what our parents have said to us about washing our hands so we don't get sick or so we don't, like, contaminate them. For them, it was purely ceremonial. And it was a huge deal for the Pharisees, a a table where you would eat dinner, they called it a mini altar. Okay, this was how big a deal they made of table fellowship. So Jesus comes and he doesn't do the ceremonial washing. Now you have to understand, in Middle Eastern culture, the most important thing to do is to honor whoever's throwing the banquet. This is an honor-shame culture. Dishonors the worst thing you can do, honors the best thing you can do. And Jesus, by not doing the little ritual hand washing thing, is antagonistically picking a fight. That doesn't come out in English. It just says, oh, the Pharisee was surprised. Like, oh, really? It's like hearing about that somebody goes to the bathroom and they don't wash their hands. Like, oh, that's kind of gross. No. This, and some of you are out here. <laughs> and it's usually dudes. Now, this wasn't in any way, shape, or form like that. This was highly offensive, and by not doing it, Jesus is on purpose offending his hosts. A huge deal. And in fact, when when they see that that when Jesus sees that he's offended them, notice he goes right and apologizes. Not. <laughs> then the Lord said to the Pharisee. Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. Cool? He says, you foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also, but give what is inside the dish to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. And then he has three other woes. Woe, W-O-E, not W-H-O-A. Woe is a form of judgment. It's a judgment saying. Where you're headed is full of sorrow, emptiness, and ultimately judgment. And so Jesus, instead of taking the opportunity to kind of rewash his hands and say, hey, sorry guys, I want to honor the host, takes the opportunity to say, hey, you guys are so pick and concerned about cleanliness. It just strikes me that even as I look at a cup, right? So he's looking at a cup and a dish, and he says, notice how the inside and the outside, like... Isn't it interesting that this is a picture of your soul? The outside you spend a lot of time polishing on, all right? You you spend a lot of time making clean, but the inside is full of greed and wickedness. Now, if he's offended them simply by not washing his hands ceremonially, what's he done there? All right? He's gone, like, he's going after this. So that's why we say Jesus hates religion. He's not neutral, he's antagonistic about it. And so what he does, hello, kids. This is the part where you're bored to death because some guy talks for like 40 minutes. Your job, if you're a kid, is to keep your parents awake during this time. Now, so Jesus, now that he's already offended them, he takes the opportunity to say, hey, notice this dish. Now, back then, this is interesting to me. Back then, there was a huge rabbinical debate about how you cleaned a cup and a dish. Because remember, they wanted to make sure everything was clean and fit. Disciples of Rabbi Hillel believed that if you cleaned the inside of the cup, the whole cup was clean. You didn't have to clean the outside. The disciples of Rabbi Shammai believed that, no, 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 you have to clean the inside of the cup using one ritual, and you have to clean the outside of the cup using a different ritual, and then the cup is clean. Jesus, (laughs) he says, isn't it interesting, Pharisees, how much time you spend on the outside of things? So take this cup. Isn't it interesting that on the outside it looks great? And you do too, but on the inside your hearts are full of greed and wickedness. And then he says this kind of weird line, like, didn't the one who made the inside of the cup make the outside also? And what he's saying there is, hey, disciples of Shemai, which these probably were, it's idiotic that you would have two rituals about the cup, one on the inside and one on the outside. It's the same cup and the same person made the cup. The whole thing is to be one. Now, I know this is a little bit obscure, but I want you to see that Jesus is drawing attention. And it only happens then. It doesn't happen now. When things appear on the outside differently than they are on the inside. Right? That doesn't happen today. So, Jesus is looking at religious people who look great on the outside, but inside, it's a different story. We're so glad that doesn't happen anymore. Now, the first picture we get... Jesus gives us, is that of a cup, go if you would to Luke chapter 12, we're going to talk a little bit about hypocrisy this morning. If you're new to church, odds are the biggest objection you might have, or certainly that culture has against the church, is what? Hypocrisy, right? Invariably, whenever I'm talking to somebody who doesn't quite buy it, the issue of hypocrites in the church comes up. Right, You aren't any different than anybody else, yet you proclaim your difference, and yet you aren't. So the outside of the cu- cup is different than the inside of the cup. And by the way, if you're here, and you're new to the Jesus thing, can, can we just go ahead and get it out of the way that yes, often the church is the greatest obstacle to Jesus. Can we just admit that? Like, we, we we've screwed it up pretty bad in some cases. And often, at its best, the church is the greatest witness to the reality of the risen Christ, too. But we admit freely that if you've come here to find out about Christianity, you're going to be disappointed. If you've come here to learn more about Jesus, well, that's, he's, he's it. And what Jesus comes to do is far different than what the religious systems of the world come to do. Jesus is the God who pursues us. Every other religious system of the world, including Christianity, are systems that, that demand we earn, we strive, whether it's pillars, laws, karma, whatever. The gospel of Jesus as God comes down, the religious systems of the world say, we work up. And so Jesus comes and he's antagonistic towards religion. Why? Well, in this instance, it's because it leads us to focus just on the outside of the cup or the dish and neglect the inside. Think that just because the outside's cleaned up, we're good. So Jesus, chapter 12, verse 1. First picture is of a cup. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak to his disciples, saying, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Now, second image is that of yeast. Now, we're real familiar with yeast, correct? Not particularly. Yeast is what is used in bread as a rising agent. That's all I know. And if you said to me, hey, go buy some yeast, I wouldn't know what to do. So instead I got bread that has yeast in it, all right? So that's our picture, cup, bread. Now, the image of yeast is a very biblical image. In the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 12, when God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, guys, here's the deal. you got to move quick. And you've got to be ready for a journey. So make unleavened bread, bread without yeast, because it, it, it's quicker to make and it lasts longer in the wilderness. And so every year during, during the Jewish celebration of Passover, Israelites would be vigilant in removing yeast from their homes. Yeast came to stand for something that even just a tiny bit of it could infect something much bigger than itself. So when Jesus says, hey, disciples, right, he's had these conversations about the religious leaders, and now he looks to his closest followers, and he says, be vigilant against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. In other words, be on guard against even the slightest bit of hypocrisy. That's what he's warning them against. Now, to see why he has such an issue with it, go to the next verse. And this is going to get a little crazy. So give me five minutes to kind of march through this, because at at, at first blush, you're going, this is all connected, and yes it is, but it's going to take us a little bit to get there. Verse 2. So Jesus says, Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Then he says, There is nothing that is concealed that will not be disclosed, or nothing that is hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark... Will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. Now, what Jesus is saying is listen, hypocrisy is an issue because there will come a day when the light of truth will shine on the world and everything will be seen for what it is. Something you whispered quietly that you thought no one would ever hear or know about will now be broadcast publicly. And something that was done in the dark that we thought, ah, it's only hurting ourselves, not hurting anybody else, will now be put on display. There's this image that Jesus gives of, listen, come clean now because you will come clean later. There is this sense that hypocrisy encourages us to have an outside different from the inside. And Jesus simply says, listen, there will come a day because God traffics only in truth. He's not impressed with empty words, He's not impressed with heartless religion. He's not impressed with just empty exercise or ritual. And so there will come a period when everything is seen for what it is. Now, if that wasn't uncomfortable enough, he then says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. He's referring to other people. I'll tell you who you should fear. Fear him who after killing the body has the power to throw you into hell. Who's that? God. I like us, it's kind of right. But it's God here. (laughs) Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Of course, this makes total sense, right? We're talking about hell and now we're talking about sparrows are not, uh, let's see, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered, which in my case is very easy. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Now here's the thought and track with me on this. And if I lose you, let me know. Jesus says, okay, be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees. In other words, be vigilant against even the smallest amount of hypocrisy in your life. Why? Well, number one, there will come a time when everything is revealed for what it is. But number two, he says, if you are a hypocrite, what you've done is you've elevated the opinions of people over the opinion of God. And so Jesus says, I'll tell you who you should fear. And by fear, he means respect or revere. Not people who have the power only to kill you. And that's the worst they can do, right? Is kill you. As he'll soon discover as he knew all the time. Uh, on the one hand, he says, don't fear people who all they can do is kill you. you should, I'll show you the one that you should respect. Respect the one who has the power to not only take your life, but to consign your soul to the trash heap. The word hell is literally the word Gehenna. And it refers to a valley outside of Jerusalem that was the trash heap for everything that was unclean and unusable in Jewish culture. All the sludge and the blood that came from the sacrificial system went out there. Bodies that weren't fit for burial would be thrown out there. Garbage, sewage. I mean, it was just awful. And Jesus uses that image to say, when you flip it around and you're more concerned about the opinions of others than you are about the opinion of God, what are you going to focus on? How I look to others. So he's saying, put it back. Put God in his right place and put humanity in their right place. The one, if you're going to respect and revere and worry about the opinion of somebody god would be the better choice than just what other people are thinking and the great news is that this god is good see jesus argues that we should revere and fear him and then points to god's love for sparrows as proof sparrows were the were the cheapest bird that you could buy in the marketplace and if god cares for them as the argument how much more does he care for you he cares for you so much. In fact, he even knows the number of hair, hairs, the number of hair, <laughs> the number of hairs on your head. All right, is this making sense? Really? I lose anybody? All right, I lose you. That's just a little bit. How old are you? Fourteen. When you're fifteen, you will understand completely. Now, is that your older sister sitting next to you? Ah. All right, ask her later. Now, first image is that of a cup. Second image, that of yeast or bread. Third image, go to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus hates religion. Why? Well, it just doesn't work, number one. It doesn't connect us with him. It's not effective at what it sets out to do. But secondly... We start focusing on the wrong things. We're all worried about how our outside looks and the inside is what the issue is. Matthew chapter 6. Now, Jesus is going to introduce a word, hypocrite. And the word hypocrite is really specific and it's central to kind of understanding his flow of thought. The word hypocrite means one who wears a mask. A hypocrite, the word is taken from Greek theater. Jesus was raised While a town named Sepphoris was being built a couple of miles away, his father was something called a tecton. Not just a carpenter, but it was a builder. So odds are, Joseph and or Jesus went and worked in Sepphoris. Central to Sepphoris was a theater. So Jesus uses theater language every now and again. A hypocrite meant mask wearer. So in Greek theater, if you were happy, you wouldn't act happy. You would wear a mask with a smile on it. If you were sad, you wouldn't, wear, you wouldn't have a sad face. You would wear a mask that had a frown on it. So a hypocrite was just somebody who wore a mask. Right? I mean, that's just, it, it wasn't negative until Jesus starts using it about the religious leaders of his day. It was just a statement. It was just a, a play actor. Now, every actor needs two things. A script and an audience. And what Jesus is going to do is he's going to go after the religious folks because they're playing to the wrong audience and they're using the wrong script. So see if we can follow this along, 14-year-old. Thanks for looking interested, though. Chapter 6, verse 1 of Matthew. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men in order to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, keep the verse up there. Notice how Acts of Righteousness has quotes around it. That's a Jewish phrase that has specifically to do with the most important acts of Jewish piety. Okay, there were three that were really a big deal. Prayer, fasting, and giving to the poor. So if you were a faithful Torah observant, Jewish man or woman in the first century, the three most outward declarations of your love for God and your love for neighbor We're prayer, fasting, giving to the poor. So what Jesus is saying is that there are some people, he's saying, listen, be careful not to do these acts in order to win the approval of other people. He's not saying it's wrong to do good in public and get caught. He's saying it's wrong to do good in public in order to be caught. He's saying, listen, and and I got to tell you, I'm so lame, I used to do this. Like, I know, I, I was in a college ministry, uh, or I was a, a college student um, a couple years ago, and I was, a, I was involved in a campus ministry, and I remember there were a couple of times I'd do open sharing on the weekends, and I would make stuff up to share. <gasps> oh, he, does he do that now? You'll never know. <laughs> so I'm not coming clean, but... So I literally, so Jesus, when he talks about this, it's very personal to me, because I get paid to be religious in public, right? I really do. That's what pastor means, always look like Jesus. So that's why I say yes to every dinner invitation. Now, Jesus is saying there's something about hypocrisy where you start, You, you. it's not just that There's this gap between who you are on the inside and who you are on the outside. But it's that the reason there's this gap is because you're trying to win the approval of other people. And so he says, be careful not to do this script, this acts of righteousness script, to win approval from people. He says, verse 2, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, as the play actors do. In the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. In other words, when they give gifts to the poor, like we got our giving boxes. So if you wanted to reenact this today, each of you that puts more than $5 in, we will blow a trumpet and give you a raffle ticket to win a free car. Right? I mean, there is this sense that today in in the American church, I mean, we don't do it like that. But there is a sense that like we like to know, we like people to know that we're generous And so Jesus is talking about people, play actors, who would stand in the middle of a synagogue and give to the needy but have trumpets blaring so that everyone would know. He says, I tell you the truth, people like that have received their reward in full. In other words, if you want the applause of people, then that's all you're going to get. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in what? Secret. So that's Jesus' antidote. If you're tempted to pretend and play to the audience of people, reframe the audience and play to the audience of one. Look at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners in order to be seen by people. I tell you the truth. People seeing them is the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. Fasting, back then, was going without food for a period of time. And there were ways you could let people know, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm fasting today. Ooh. And Jesus says, if you're fasting just to win the approval of other people, great, you got it. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. Now, do you see... Boba Fett has just had an issue. Now, do you see how this fits together? Cup, inside and outside. Yeast, a small amount, can infect a whole batch. The third picture is mask. Hypocrites have masks. And we'll use Star Wars because it's rocks. All right, so this is Boba Fett, just in case you were wondering. Kids, Boba Fett, right? I tried to find a clone trooper. I couldn't find one this morning, so Boba Fett it is. Now, when Jesus is condemning hypocrisy, what he's saying is it's it's not just that there's a gap between how I appear on the outside and how I am on the inside. It's that in public, I'm pretending there's no gap at all. Does that make sense? It's not just that there's a gap between what I say and what I do. It's that in recognition of that gap, I now pretend that there isn't a gap at all. So for these guys, they stand up and their script is the acts of Jewish piety. Their acts of Jewish piety, the fasting, the giving... And what they do is they do it to be seen by other people. So they blow trumpets, they stand in the middle of the synagogues, they disfigure their faces, they put their religious masks on, and Jesus says, listen, if you're just doing it for the approval of other people, great, you got it. But God's not involved in that. He said, but you, when you do these things, do them in secret, do them alone, so that you won't be, pre-tempt- you won't be tempted to pretend. And your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. So you have three pictures. Picture number one, a cup. Picture number two, bread, or for the sophisticated among us, yeast. Picture number three, a mask. Now, are you tracking with me so far? Okay, take out your cup. What are the two things an actor needs? A script and an audience. What was the script for the Pharisees? The religiousness, right? The, the acts of piety, the fasting, the giving, the, the, um, the praying. And who was their audience? Was it God? No. Their audience was each other. So Jesus would say to them, don't fear what men and women think. You should only be concerned about what God thinks, Right? All men and women can do or slander you, put you down. I mean, the worst they can do is kill you. But God not only has the power to take your life, but then to consign it to the trash heap. And everything that's going on, everything that's different between the inside and the outside will come to light anyway, so come clean. So, let's talk about how this plays out. In my life, do you think there's a gap between what I say and what I do? In my life. You think so? I need to lose weight. I love Ruby's milkshakes. There's a gap. I want to be a great, fantastic husband. My wife's going, thanks. So there's a gap right? Do I always act like a great, wonderful husband? No. I want to be a great dad. Am I always a great dad? No. I want to be a faithful pastor. Am I always a faithful pastor? No. So I have a gap. Now, there are two responses you can have to this gap. First response is to hide and pretend it's not there. Jesus calls that hypocrisy. Or you can admit it's there and engage with God out of it, which is what Jesus calls us to do in secret. So, an actor needs a script in an audience. What's your script? Like, let me give you an example. And you got pencil, so you can write along. All right, my script, pastor. What is it that you spend a lot of time polishing on the outside? Right? You should be all writing, unless you have one hand, and then you get off free. Barely. Pastor, Father. Husband, OC, like I live in the OC, so I got to be hip and cool, which comes naturally. But let, let me show you what I mean by pastor. I have a pastor script that runs in my head, okay? When I'm on a plane and somebody finds out I'm a pastor, do they act differently? Yes, it's awful. I have this script that runs in my head. It's things like this. I've had a horrible day. I'm really stressed. Something big has happened in my life. Somebody comes in and something very small has happened in their life, but to them it's very, very big. And they want to take an hour and a half to talk about it. My pastor script tells me I need to move everything aside. Jesus was always interruptible. And give them full, compassionate attentiveness. My inside is telling me, I don't care. This isn't a big deal. Do you know what's going on with me? <laughs> my outside tells me I can never get a new car. Right? I've had people look at me and say, hey, nice car, Pastor. And I just want to say, oh, oh, sorry, my donkey kicked out last week. I mean, I can't. <laughs> you know? What is that? I can't drive new cars, I guess. I have to love all, I love, I love poverty. Um, so there's this script. And wouldn't you agree there's a pastor script? That the church and the pastor kind of codependently enable with each other. Like, heaven forbid you see me out with a beer. Oh my goodness. Or that I enjoy football. Or whatever. And so I have to war against this script that exists on pastor. Like, literally, I mean, this is how sick I am. Somebody will come to me and ask me a question. Like, part of my script is Bible Answer Man, right? So somebody will come and ask me a question, and I have no clue what the answer is. So there's a gap. (laughs) Here's here's what they want. Here's the script I'm supposed to have, but I don't have the foggiest idea. What am I tempted to do in those moments? Hide. Hide. Well, you know, it really depends on what, you, what your view of sublapsarianism is. It's, it's seri- a sublapsarianism is. If you're a sublapsarianist, then you would think it is. But if you're a superlapsarianist, then you would think we just go out into the deep woods and get lost and then come back and they realize I've never answered their question. <laughs> so I have this script going on in my head. And the script invites me to pretend because who's my audience if I'm running that script? Who's my audience? You, this, what, us, you're my audience and literally. And so guess what? Guess what my temptation is when I stand up here to have it all put together. That's why I cannot ever preach and not admit I'm a fellow struggler because it's cool in the church to admit you struggle in past tense. I used to have a struggle with pride, but God's given me victory. Right? You don't want to know yesterday I was all arguing with myself about who's the greatest. Right? You don't want to hear that. You don't want to you want to hear that I used to struggle with anger. You don't want to hear I got really ticked off of the current front of me and I was calling down curses on them. Right? You don't want to hear that. Right? So we have this enabling thing that goes on between pastors and churches. Now play that out with you. If you're a religious person, what's your script? Nice family, well-behaved kids, perfect marriage, right? i got to have a house bigger than I can afford, a car that I've leased and leveraged myself. I mean, what is your script? Start writing. I just shared mine with you, and you're not going to sit and judge me. I'm going to look at yours, too. <laughs> What's your script? What is it that you polish just on the outside? Right? I haven't read my Bible in months, but I read it this morning. And so I just have to say somewhere in conversation, you know, I was reading in Malachi this morning. <laughs> you know? Is this just me? You're right, it's not. All right, so start writing. So that's the outside. What about on the inside? Now, your pencils don't work on the inside, so you just have to press hard or abbreviate. Okay? So if the outside is this, what's the inside? Well, pride, lust, greed, selfishness, right? These are just the things I'm seeing right now in you guys. <laughs> but isn't that what religious do- religion does to us? Isn't it, why am I tempted to polish it up on the outside? Because your approval is so much more tangible than God's. Isn't that true? When people tell me I'm great, I mean, that's so much more tangible than the God who sees in secret. Okay. Jesus hates religion because it causes us to just polish the outside of the cup and not worry about the inside. The gospel is that Jesus comes to change the inside of the cup. And as a result, the outside will be progressively clean. Do you see the difference? Because if this is my game, if the inside is dark, and I feel like I have a script that, because you're my audience, that I've got to run, what am I going to do? I'm going to hide. I'm going to pretend. But if you change the audience... And go from other people to God. God's the audience. And if you change the script, so instead of having to do all of this, according to the scriptures, I'm a saint, I'm holy, I'm a son, I'm adopted. When Jesus comes and he changes the inside of the cup, now these things are still true of me, but they're no longer fundamentally who I am as a disciple of Christ. So if the inside of the cup changes and is redefined, guess what that means I can do? Put coffee in it? Playing the metaphor a little too literally, but yes. I can come clean. I don't have to pretend anymore. Like it was very liberating for me to to recognize that we don't do church for you. And that whether or not you like it isn't the most important thing in the equation. Oh, I want you to like it. I want you to like me. But who's the audience of this thing? God is. So is God super stoked when we just come and pretend? See, I learned that church was the place you pretend. It was like getting family pictures taken. (laughs) Any of you have an Olin Mills? This was this demonic place of my childhood. In Ohio. And we would go and we would get dressed up. We would hate it. And we'd be arguing and yelling at each other and disagreeing with each other. And we'd drive to this place and you'd hate each other. And this is awful. And why are we doing this? And then you'd sit in front of the camera and they'd say, smile. And then you'd go. <laughs> and then you'd be arguing about how horrible it was all the way home. And so you had a monument, right? To In that moment, your job was to smile, just to pretend. And isn't that church? I mean, you can't come in here going, oh my goodness, my marriage is hanging by a thread because godly marriages don't ever hang by threads. You can't come in here saying, you know what? I think I'm an alcoholic. I cannot go to bed every night unless I have two or three drinks. No, because godly people aren't ever supposed to use alcohol like that. You can't come in here saying, you know what? I, I have to lock down my computer to keep images on there far away from me. Godly people aren't supposed to want to look at those things. Isn't that what we do? So I grew up in a church where we never talked about anything real. The pastor stood behind a big Bible and a big pulpit. And we never, ever, ever were encouraged to come clean with each other. And so I learned how to pretend. Here's the outside of my cup. It's great, man. I'm going to make stuff up in college. How sick is that? That's what religion does. What Jesus does is he cleans this. So if you're here and this whole conversation's new to you, you have to understand that the gospel is that you get a new heart. That you're not, no, there's no single time in the New Testament where disciples of Jesus are called sinners anymore. Do we still sin? Mm hmm. Is that our fundamental identity? Not anymore. So when you really come to understand the grace, love, acceptance of God, guess what you can do? You can come clean. And that doesn't mean you go spilling your heart to every single person you come across, right? There's, like, there are some socially appropriate ways to have a difference between your outside and your inside. Like, that's okay. But there have to be places where you come clean. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So Jesus gives us three pictures. A cup, where the inside is different than the outside. Yeast, where if you let a little of this in, it will infect the whole thing. And a mask, because there's a script, and we've got the wrong script. And because there's an audience, and we have the wrong audience, we pretend. We play act. We just polish the outside. The gospel is change the script. You're loved. You're accepted. You don't have to earn it, prove it, and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. The gospel is change the audience. God's opinion of you is the one that most matters. The gospel is clean the inside. And then the outside will follow. So would you do this, brothers and sisters? Take your cup for a moment. Shut your eyes. Where is it that you're tempted to pretend? What's the script running that invites you to pretend? Where do you play to the audience of what others think? What would it mean for you to operate with a different script? A script of grace, a script of forgiveness, a script of identity in Christ? What would it look like for you to play to a different audience? Instead of pretending to win the approval of others, I go into my secret place. So I don't pretend. Holy Spirit of God, would you liberate us from the incessant and driving desire we have to appear better than we are? Father, would you assume your rightful place? And would other people assume their rightful places underneath that? And so would you bring healing and hope and grace this morning to our hearts? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Mariners Church Mission Viejo Campus. For more information about Mariners, visit www.marinerschurch.org.